Hi everybody, welcome to With Bowl and Spoon, a podcast about people's personal food evolution. I'm here with my friend Cassie. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? I'm Cassie Schaefer. Um, is this where I tell people where we know each other or how we know each other? Although it's, we don't really know the answer to that question. I, I think it's Pittsburgh. Yes, said, I think Pittsburgh I say that is the all answer. the time, so it was really good to yeah. hear you say that. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, it's the biggest little town in America. It really is. Mm-hmm. And and it's that's that thing where if you're here for more than 10 years, you're just like, I know you. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not sure which circle of influence mm-hmm. you come from, but um, but we know each other from the farmer's market. Yeah. But you, you remember more than I do. <laughs> so go ahead. You can tell the story. I mean, the, the first time that I remember meeting you was I was part of uh, Oakland Community Council. I lived in South Oakland. Oh, yeah. Um, I was there for like 20 years. And at some point, we decided we were doing a community garden. And the first step in that process was to convene a community meeting to just kind of talk about what people thought that meant. And I remember you conducting that meeting. And I don't remember what like how you came to be the person conducting that meeting but i do remember that it was you so <laughs> that was with the oakland bid right the oakland oh, business yeah. improvement yeah. district mm-hmm. and uh oh gosh what was the director's name there i can't remember her name but she knew about me and that i did um, urban agriculture yeah. and so she asked me to come in and, and do that so yeah that was fun yeah and I understand that garden is still there. As far as I know, aware. yeah. I actually, I moved out of that neighborhood about yeah. almost 10 years ago now. Yeah, that was an interesting project. Yeah. Some hits, some misses, but whatever. It yeah. was, uh, and I'm glad it's still going on. I love <laughs> I love when I hear about projects that I had a tiny little part to do in. And it's and then they so, outlived you. Yeah, yeah That's the way it's supposed to be. So. Legacies, for sure. Yeah. So, um, tell me about you. So, um... Well, let's talk a little bit about farmer's markets since that's like our yes, current yes, connection. Yes, farmer's markets. Um, so for the last nine years, I have been doing farmer's markets for Olive and Marlowe, which is uh, olive oils and balsamic vinegars. Um, it's owned by a woman named Heather Kramer. And she and I were part of the same sort of crunchy moms online group. Um, and at that time, I was working an academic year at Carnegie Mellon. And during the summer, I would be off of work, and I was looking for something interesting to do during the summer and posted to that mom's group. And she said, oh my gosh, I have this business and we're gonna start doing farmer's markets. Do you wanna do that? I was a chef at CMU, it seemed like a natural idea. So I started doing farmer's markets for her and have it's kind of been my full-time summer job for the last nine years. And um, this is the first summer I'm not full-time doing it. Because I left cooking and have a different nine-to-five job now. So, oh <laughs> wow! So, um, do they still have a brick-and-mortar site? They had one in East Liberty for a she while. She did. Right? It was a beautiful mm-hmm. space. No, no. What okay. she figured out was that 
having a brick and mortar site is expensive. Oh yeah. And that most of her sales were coming online or at farmers markets anyway. So it just made sense. And she also has some young children and um, Olive moving. and Marlo, I believe. Olive, Marlo, and Tulpin. Oh, there's another one. <laughs> there's wow. a third one. But I think she found, you know, moving the work part of the business, the bottling and operations back to, you know, someplace that was not a standard business hour operation gave her more time to spend with her kids. And so that's been a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. What is your full-time gig now? I am the constituent relations advisor to state representative Abigail Salisbury. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, that's probably another way that I know you. Uh-huh. And or maybe that's no, how I know Abigail, because, I don't know, Facebook has been a real community builder yeah. for me. It's great. Um, I'm also <clears throat> a borough council person in Braddock Hills. Oh, and, wow. Um, so you said you were a chef at CMU. Yeah, I spent the last 20 years being a chef. The last decade of them being the house chef to a large fraternity at Carnegie Mellon. So I operated a commercial kitchen inside a frat house and uh, cooked lunch and dinner Monday through Friday and did a lot of like surrogate mothering to those kids. And prior to that, I was a real chef in like restaurants and private clubs and things like that. I didn't even know fraternity chef was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's really wild. Yeah. So how did you end up getting that? So I was the sous chef at Square Cafe in Regent Square and was getting progressively more pregnant. And was, it was becoming difficult to saute because my belly was in between me and the stove. Um, and my yep. midwife kept saying, you know, you should probably sit down every so often. And I was like, I can't. So I left there, had a kid, decided that I really, if I could manage it, I wanted to take a year off and kind of figure out how to be a mom. So I did that and like was sort of hitting the end of that year, wanted to get back to work, answered a Craigslist ad for cooking on Carnegie Mellon campus was hired by a fraternity, worked for them for about a year and a half. During that window of time, my husband, who was also a cook, was looking for a new job. The fraternity next to the one I was working in was looking for a new cook, and so I sent him over there. So for a brief window of time, we were working next door to each other. I left the fraternity that I had been working for, did some other things, started maybe kind of going back to school a little bit. I worked on the Fresh Project, which was a big research study in the Hill District in Homewood looking at food deserts. Oh, and then when, P-H-R-E-S-H. Yes. Yes. And then my husband had to leave the job, and the research project I was on was starting to wrap up, and I was like, I could do this some more. So I went back into his kitchen and uh, took that over from him and stayed there for like nine years. That's great. Was that as fun as it sounds? Most of the time, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it really was, because I don't, I kind of thrive in chaos, which is one of the things that made me good at being cooking professionally. Yeah. Um, and that's an extra chaotic environment, so. Anyone yeah. who's worked in a kitchen understands that entirely. Exactly, sure. yeah. Takes a special kind of crazy. Um, but I feel like I should mention prior to becoming a cook, I worked at, uh, in Pittsburgh News Weekly for... I don't know how many years and then moved over to city paper for a little while and it was going to city paper that convinced me to quit and go to culinary school so oh yeah. okay what did you write about I wasn't a writer I was I was an advertising sales oh okay gotcha yeah. so you're in advertising sales and you decided from doing that work that you wanted to 
go to culinary school. Yes. Okay. How did that happen? I don't know. Was um, it <laughs> okay. Because no, it was really honestly bad like segue there. <laughs> something like I had thought about it on and off, but I was not somebody that cooked a lot at home. And when I said to my husband, "I'm thinking about doing this," like he thought it was hysterical. He thought I was kidding. You know, I mean, because I really he was like a chef. He was a cook. Yeah. Cook. And. But it's just like, I like to bake, but not so much cook. And then, uh, and this, this, it's, it's almost silly. I read the book Kitchen Confidential. It was Anthony Bourdain. I read the book and I was like, I see myself in here. And like, I finished the book, picked up the phone, called the American Culinary Federation apprenticeship location in the area and was like, how do I get signed up? And just did it. Wow. Yeah. It was a total leap of faith. I thought it was going to be something like you sold advertising for a restaurant <laughs> yeah. and you were so inspired that you wanted to work in that field. Yeah. Okay, but no. No, no. <laughs> in fact, the, most of I my mean, advertising clients were the adult ads. Oh, gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, the book is a really good inspiration. Oh my That's gosh, a yeah, it is. Fantastic inspiration yeah. story. I like that very much. What is your favorite thing to cook? Mm. So I still um, do a little catering here and there just for fun. I love doing like hors d'oeuvres. I love doing lots of little pretty things. I also really enjoy doing sort of southern soul food kind of stuff. I love a good making a good barbecue. I love cornbread. I, yeah. Where did you grow up? Here in Pittsburgh? I did in the North Hills, Aetna and Shaler. And my mother had a degree in home economics. Oh, so all of the home economics that's yeah. yeah i remember home ec when they mm-hmm. used to for listeners who are too young to remember home yes. ec home home economics was all of the the things you do around the house that mm-hmm. don't actually get that you're not actually paid for <laughs> i think i think they now refer to it more as consumer science um you know but it's it's that is a weird name too yeah. i just i don't yeah. understand where that comes from mm-hmm. but it was it was uh how to um cook Mm-hmm. And so, so and, and mend and manage a budget and mm. you know all of those like skills that really are quite useful. Do you know what's really interesting? I was talking with a friend who advises um, indigenous tribes mm-hmm. around North and South America around capitalism. He's, yeah. he's a social capitalist. And he goes in and and sort of translates. I mean, sometimes he needs a translator for the language, Mm -hmm. but he's able to translate the capitalism, you know, words and and concepts Mm -hmm. for these indigenous tribes. And most of the people, now I think he said exclusively, all of the people that he works with in these indigenous tribes around economic development Mm -hmm. are women. Women are the primary economic development uh, players in indigenous cultures and that was just really really surprising yeah. to me it's really interesting so the fact that home economics was it was it was seen as a girl thing as yeah. a woman thing as a girl thing oh yeah definitely <laughs> really yeah let's just go right for the yeah. yeah that's exactly what it was yeah guys didn't have to take they took auto shop mm-hmm. i took auto shop in high school because mm-hmm. i was a rebel like that yeah, I mean, I definitely, I took I took wood shop and metal shop, but I did also take home ec classes, I think because it, I knew it would be an easy... Well, you, you grew <laughs> up with A, because I... Yeah. yeah. And, then, and the person who taught home ec at my high school had gone to college with my mother. 
Now, my mother didn't work in that field. She was the director of personnel at St. Francis Hospital. Oh, but, okay. Um, but she had been a home ec teacher, like, when she first came out of college. And stuff. Okay. Yeah. So you grew up with that. And that's really interesting, though, because it was seen as women's work and that mm-hmm. invisible work and that whole culture yeah. there. How did that play out in your your life? I mean, I suppose I never saw it that way. I was older when it occurred to me that that's how people saw it. Because my mother was hardcore feminist, you know, and most of my, from I guess probably about third grade on, she was a single mom, you know, and so I saw her as a very strong, accomplished woman. It never occurred to me until later that like, oh, (laughs) these are like the realms that she studied were things that were not, you know, were like almost exclusively women studying it. um, Yeah, it's kind of weird. But I definitely see that influence in my life, you know, that I'm very methodical and process oriented and and that was how she taught me to like manage a home, you know, so. A thing that not a lot of people learn. Yeah. Actually, it's really kind of bonkers. Yeah. I'm just trying to think back to my, when when did I, how did I learn that? I guess I, (laughs) it's really fascinating. So your mom, did she have a pretty well-managed household? Was it like, and she worked outside the home? She did work outside the home. She was good at prioritizing. Mm. Like, these are the things that should be done a very specific way because it makes our lives easier. And the rest we could just kind of like, woo, have fun with, you know. Um, But she did. She cooked a lot. She sewed a lot. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of structure. Like... There's there's structured right. chaos and there's structure. Right. So it sounds like you had structured structured time and then structured mm-hmm. chaos. Time. Yeah, I mean because was, she was also a very creative, artistic person. Then you know, yeah. So it was a good mix. Yeah, that sounds yeah. great. Focus on getting the half twos done, and then you can have fun with the rest of the time. Getting the what? Oh, half twos. What's a half two? <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to feed yourself. You have to have clean clothes. You should probably clean the bathroom once a week and then the rest of the time do whatever you want. So (laughs) that's great. So, but once you have it like organized and it's, it's, then it's not a struggle. It's not a struggle. It's just part of what you do and it becomes habit and then it's not. So your learning curve curve into adulthood. Yeah. It was pretty seamless. That's good. So you said your mom was into art and stuff. Was that a big part of your life too? I am not visually artistic. I do. I have sung with a number of bands over the years. I still perform periodically. Grew up as a musical theater kid. Yeah. I mean, but my mom did pottery and made quilts and, you know, and stuff like that. She was also, like, very accomplished musically. But, yeah, I'm just the visual side. I didn't get that. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's the, the arts, however it comes yeah. forth in your life. And, I mean, to say, like, oh, you know, my mom was an artist, but I just did musical theater. <laughs> Come on. That's pretty cool. That's super yeah. fun. So you had you had a touch of the dramatic? Indeed. I would say more than a touch, but yeah. <laughs> but the response, like, indeed. perfect. <laughs> You were talking about how food and community go yes. hand in hand. Yeah. You like to create community around food. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So what I was mentioning, like, the, the work that I was doing at the fraternity, 
that's the part of it that I am most proud of was building that community um, because they would sit down to eat dinner together every night as a group um, and that was they That's would not have done nice. that otherwise. Um, and so I used to really enjoy, like, two guys would serve as waiters and take all the plates out from the kitchen after I plated things. How many people were there? You know, it varied year to year. I mean, sometimes it was as small as 16, 17, and sometimes it was 30, you know. Um, and then they would have lots of events that were much larger that uh, I'd feed people for those, too. But just the, almost every night I would look out into the dining room and see those kids functioning as a community and just like my my heart would swell you know I mean it just that's that's what I love about it you know yeah I mean I love feeding people anybody who shows up randomly at my house I'm like let me make you a four course meal (laughs) let's all sit down together that's something that I wouldn't have thought that a fraternity would be organized like that to have dinner together every night Mm -hmm. is that something that that was instituted prior to you starting there or is it when my husband worked there before me they started doing it yeah so was your husband influential on in making that happen Uh, I think so I mean I think some of the the guys that were involved at that point kind of wanted to try doing it this way you know um yeah that that just seems like a very thoughtful and uh, kind of mature thing to do um more of a like a family kind of thing to do and so that's really interesting to hear that a fraternity did that yeah i I mean yeah i'm talking smack on fraternities because well i I don't have a lot of experience with them to be honest but um i think the general feeling is or thought is that they're just sort of like wild party Mm -hmm. people and so that's nice to know that there's a structure i mean they, they can be yeah but um yeah, I mean, the whole reason they're there is because they want to be together in some fashion and support each other. And so if you create the framework for them to do that more easily, then it becomes a more cohesive group and everybody's better because of it. So. That's very nice. Yeah. I did um, I did an interview with McSweeney's a number of years ago because it was such a weird job and they... I don't know how they found me, but this reporter called me from the West Coast and was like, I hear you have a weird job and I want to talk to you about it. (laughs) So, you know, so it was, that was the first time I ever really sort of became a fraternity evangelist. Um, But, uh, yeah, I I miss being there. Somebody needs to stand up for them. That's great that you could do that, that you could be that person. Yeah. It's getting loud. It's getting loud. There's a lot of this. This tends to be a problem. I need to get a studio or something and invite people there. But being in lively places is so much better than being in an isolated location. Your family heritage. Yes. You were saying your dad is German. My dad's side of the family is German, and my mother's side of the family was Irish. Um, Good, rich food there. Yeah, I mean, I definitely identify more with the Irish stuff, and I don't know why that is, but yeah, I mean, like, I have all these great old recipes from my grandmother that, that's how I celebrate St. Patrick's Day, is I make all her recipes, so. (laughs) Your family gatherings must have been interesting. Did the German and the Irish come together? Um, not so much. It wasn't like there was any animosity, it just didn't happen that way. My grandmother, my grandparents on my mother's side were used to, like, sort of calm 
little more well-to-do settings and then my father's side which is a million people when they get together it's like woohoo it's crazy and that just wasn't their scene so you know they really didn't attend each other's functions so much my mom had two sisters and i'm the only child of all three of those so yeah but the german side was a little more wild yes okay yeah i mean we still like thanksgiving every year is kind of a minimum 50 people wow yeah that's great yeah so who cooks for that we all do um my aunt who hosts it like does the turkeys and then everybody's in charge of like one thing i bring cornbread somebody brings corn you know like so you only you make enough of one dish for everybody it works out really well <laughs> yeah kind of like a potluck yes not exactly but in very intentioned like it's you know it's generally the same menu every year and you, you know what your role is. <laughs> Traditional Thanksgiving. That's yes. a good thing to have. You have a pretty big garden at home? Um, sometimes. <laughs> this year's is larger than normal. Yeah. But that's, I successfully grew watermelon for the first time. Oh, I've tried exciting. it before, and what I have grown is watermelon vine. Yep. And this year I actually have watermelons that I'm pretty excited about. Do you have a lot of critters that you have to deal with at your garden? Yeah. So I live in Braddock Hills now, which... There's a lot of woods. It's a lot of open space and woods and trees and yeah. I mean, like I used to have chickens, but we also have foxes and now I don't have chickens anymore. Yeah, but I that's part of the move to that neighborhood was yard acquisition so that I could grow stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah there we go. Because <laughs> I was growing as much as I could on my like yard that was about the size of like these two tables in Oakland and. Um, it's a new limited what you can do there. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to have space. Um, any more community gardens. You have a history with farmer's markets? Yep. Tell me about that. I love farmer's markets. I would, like on my days off when I was doing it full time, I would go to a farmer's market for fun. I can totally relate to yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it's that community. Yep. And that's one of the things I love about Bloomfield. The Bloomfield market is a community. You know, there are a lot of markets that they think, you know, we just invite people into this empty lot and put up their tents and it'll happen. And it doesn't work that way. You got to work at it. And, and Bloomfield has embraced that work. And it's just, it's wonderful. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, like, it's, and sometimes it's really fun. It's a little bit like joining the circus. You know, you show up in this empty space and all these tents go up and it transforms into this whole thing for a couple hours and then it just whoo, whisks away and it's gone um and that part's really fun <laughs> I, I love that analogy because i feel like vendors at a farmer's market are very much like carnies mm -hmm. <laughs> oh um, indeed yeah i worked at the public market yeah when it was down on penn avenue and that was, you know, we had, it was that same kind of community environment. Yeah. And that was like every day and, and year round. And that was, it was a really neat environment, yeah. a really nice group That's of people. That's where Olive and Marlowe started. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Oh, so much history. There's so much, so much in the city yeah. around food. Yeah. It's really been an incredible place. So when did you first start getting into farmer's markets? I mean, it's been about nine years, nine, ten years. I did the very first summer that I was doing it. I did a couple of markets for Heather. And then I also did a couple of markets a week for Don and Paula from Cherish Creamery. 
And that was just a random, I had gone to a farmer's market to shop and stopped and was, you know, looking at their product and talking to them. And, and Paula was just like, have you ever thought about, are you looking for a job? And I was like, kind of, maybe. It was hard to sort of be representing both of those because I, you know, I mean, I take it pretty seriously and I feel like it's important for me to represent the product that I'm selling properly and be, you know, knowledgeable. And so it was sort of, it was a little challenging to kind of jump into both that way. But that's really where it started. I mean, I always enjoyed shopping at farmer's markets, but it's such a different perspective when you're a vendor. Yeah. Absolutely. I think people think it's a really easy thing, Mm -hmm. but it's not. It's not. There's so many people who don't like it, Mm -hmm. who aren't good at it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it does definitely takes a special person to be able to, you know, engage strangers. Oh, yeah. For a brief period of time. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't tell long stories. (laughs) They have to be very succinct. (laughs) Maybe one or two sentences. And oftentimes, like, you get the story down and then you just tell everybody that story over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. You just repeat it with everybody. Yep. Or the, you know, yeah, little thing about this product or that Mm -hmm. product and get your little spiel down. You develop the pattern. Yeah. Yep. And you meet some amazing people at Farmers Oh my gosh, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's like Ollie from Wild Rise. I call him my farmer's market best friend. He's, uh, yeah, he's great. Are you guys at a lot of the same markets? Nope, just Bloomfield. Okay. Yeah. You're, are you also at the Forest Hills market? Yep. Okay. This year I'm doing Bloomfield, Forest Hills, and then um, Sundays we do Carnegie and then this brand new Aspenwall market. Um, On Sundays? Yeah. Is it in the same place as the old Aspenwall Market? There was a more, most recently a flea market there. Right. Like right along Freeport. Okay, yeah. And then the flea market is no more. Freedom Farms was there. So Freedom Farms has kind of taken over, turning it into a farmer's market. Oh, so it's not the flea, it's just the farmers. Right. Yeah. Ah, okay. I didn't know. So who else is there? Freedom (laughs) Farms and me. (laughs) Um... Occasionally there'll be, you know, two or three other vendors, um, but it's really, it's, this is the first year. It's, it's rough and it's not, it's a location that has so much potential. I mean, that's a, that's a, particularly for our products that are kind of a higher price point. um, That's a really good neighborhood to be in. And most markets suck for the first couple of years, you know, and, um, so yeah (laughs) there's there's that learning curve and you know the east end market is going through that right now it's really struggling it's a real fine line because you're struggling with like there aren't enough vendors Mm -hmm. right but there aren't customers to bring in the vendors right you've got to have both grow at the same time yeah and i think the larmer community is pissed they're not it's not in larmer proper yeah because they have this like area this green space that they wanted to use for that but that is not big enough for the potential of the East End market. Yeah. So it, it's, and and they, I don't know if they don't shop at the market because they're kind of mad at it or, or if they don't promote it within the yeah. community or something. But it's, I think it's, it's starting to get its footing a little bit this year. And I keep saying to people like, you've got to be patient. It's got to be, you can't mm-hmm. move it again. You yeah. move it again next oh, year, yeah. it's going to suck for another three mm-hmm. years. This is its second year. Yeah. You've got to let it grow. And people just don't know about it. So, yeah. 
the Carnegie market that's on Sundays is one that we committed to in the first year. And it was, it was rough. I mean, it was really like, does this make sense to keep coming back? Like it was in a parking lot off of the main street. And like, unless you stumbled upon it, you didn't necessarily know it was there. And there weren't a lot of vendors and, you know, and it just, and it has just, it's the little market they could. It's just grown and grown. And they made the decision two or three years ago to move it on to Main Street to shut down the street. So now it feels like it's part of Carnegie. And, you know, the, the businesses that are along that street open up on Sundays and are kind of part of the whole thing. And it's it's great. It's a great market now. So there but are it, two markets on Sunday. Yeah. And what are the hours of each of those markets? Uh, let's see. Aspenwall is 9 to 1. Okay. Carnegie is... I think it's 11 to 3 currently, although football season is starting, so they learned that on days that there are Steelers games, customers don't show up once the game starts. So they back, they change the hours a little bit. Pittsburgh is such Pittsburgh. a unique place. <laughs> I remember being at the symphony once during hockey playoffs, and they were giving the score in between pieces, in between scores, you know, it was, it was really wild. <laughs> but yeah, Pittsburgh is a sports town. Don't mess with that. Oh. Do not mess with our games. It's so surprising. <laughs> it's still, it still yeah. surprises me after all these years being here. And we, we committed to a market in Hampton <clears throat> a while back, a number of years ago, that really should have been a great market, should have turned into something but was an example of a manager who thought, I'm just going to let people set up some tents and sell stuff and it'll just happen. You know, that did not put the effort into, you know, maybe bring in some live entertainment, maybe bring it, you know, like, and promote it, you know, and do that whole, do all the things that you need to do. Um, and it really after two or three years of doing that one it just it wasn't growing it wasn't turning into a thing and we walked away from it so let's talk about that a little bit more because i think people don't understand like why can't you just set up tents and then you know if you build it they will come but you know what are you building when you just let people set up tents you're not building that third place right and that's what mm -hmm. i think a lot of market managers don't realize yeah. like you have to have a personal relationship with the vendors mm -hmm. because if the vendors don't like the market management they're not going to come back yeah. they're not going to feel obligated they're going to be like peace out and if the community doesn't feel like there's more more for them than just going to buy groceries yeah. they're not going to exactly. stay there they're not I mean, going to keep really back like, going to Aldi is easier than walking around in a farmer's market particularly <laughs> like in the middle of the summer or in a day when it's raining or you know like it's predictable, like, here's the list of things I need, I'm going to the store, I'm getting those things. That's not the farmer's market experience. Um, so you have to make it a place that people want to go to. And then once they get used to shopping that way, they keep coming back. <laughs> That's my theory, at least. Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So what other elements do you think make a successful market that you see? I mean, I think the right mix of vendors is important. I think you have to curate vendors, you know? Yeah. What else? I'm a big advocate for live entertainment. I feel like particularly when you are starting and don't have a whole lot going on, something like that 
helps make it a fun experience. What have you seen that's like the most fun live entertainment that really is a draw? Because I see a lot of, there's a guy in a guitar under yeah. the tent and you know that's that's nice and good yeah. for him and everything but like I don't often see that benefiting the guy or the market necessarily too much. I, I don't, I could be wrong. I, I could feel, totally it just, it be wrong. Adds, I feel like it ad totally adds to the atmosphere. You know, because okay. that's not a thing that you're going to see when you're at Giant Eagle. Sure. There's, you're not going to come down the aisle and have somebody playing a guitar. Thoughts um, for Giant Eagle, just saying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe like, a couple magicians. Yeah, <laughs> balloon artists, something. Yeah. Right. Um, I was doing the Lawrenceville market for a while. And Lawrenceville has done, did a really good job of making space for community organizations to also participate. Like I was doing Lawrenceville during COVID, you know, and you, you could get your COVID vaccine at the market, things oh, like wow. that, yeah. um, that definitely help bring people in. Yeah. I think I've, I've seen the city markets change under the new leadership of, uh, city parks and they're, they're doing more integrating of other yeah. city services into it, which is something that I've been an advocate yeah. for for years in my work that I did with the city. I mean, that's, we did that farmer's market study. Made recommendations like that, yeah. and it just fell on deaf ears until Catherine Vargas picked it up, and she's done some amazing things. Yeah. She also, she also did the amazing thing of hiring uh, Christina Howell, who started the Bloomfield Market to consult on yeah. developing the markets in the city. So. I know her from uh, our kids went to the same elementary school, oh, and wow. I was the president of the PTO, and she, uh, yeah, <laughs> again, Pittsburgh, small town. And so in my capacity now, working for a state rep, that was one of the things that was important to me when we were looking for ways to outreach in our district. I looked for farmer's markets. So like there's a Thursday, a little tiny market in Wilkinsburg on Thursdays that's mostly like a free giveaway. There are produce vendors and it's a pay what you can market. But we're there. We set up a table and we do mobile constituent services and just kind of are there. We're part of that community. And that's something that was important to me to bring to my current job. So. Yeah. One of the, the most unassuming market that is very well marketed is the Swiss Vale Market. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been there? When I was doing stuff for Cherish Creamery, we used to go there. But now, because I'm always in Bloomfield on Saturdays, I don't ever get to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember just like, if you are anywhere, anywhere in the vicinity, mm -hmm. in like earshot of Swissville, you will you will know that market is oh, happening because yeah. mm -hmm. there's signage and it's just really well done. Yeah. I admire them a great deal for that. Farmers markets are vital. And, and being that third place yeah. is really important because you run into people that you see. So once mm -hmm. you start getting the regular traffic yeah. and you start seeing people, I mean, it's Pittsburgh is a small town, so you're going to run into people that you know yeah. pretty much anywhere. But it was so neat to be at particularly Bloomfield when it came back after COVID or during COVID when it was yeah. safe to come back. Because there, yeah, I mean, there were customers, people, like people hadn't seen each other because that was where they saw each other. And it and was just, it was just a, a little foot bump, like a hey, giant reunion for a couple of weeks there. It was yeah. so neat. Yeah, that was some tense times. Yeah. I remember fighting for the Bloomfield Market because they were trying to find another location because they were almost kicked out of their location. Yeah. But they ended up being able to be there. Yeah. That was great. And that, I think that was a good decision on West Penn's part, too. 
but that was quite a time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, COVID. Sheesh. Uh-huh. Glad that's over, huh? All right. Wow, this is really getting to be a yeah. ruckus place. Yes. I think maybe we should wrap it up. <laughs> sure. This has been super fun. Yeah, I'm really been. glad to get to talk with you. And thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you for asking me. Okay. We'll see you at the market. Exactly. <laughs> Hosted by me, Shelley Danko Day. Copy editing by Carolyn Ristow. Details reviewed. Original theme song was written and performed by Paul Labrise and Friends. You can listen to With Bowl and Spoon anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us and send us questions or messages on Facebook and Instagram or on our website, withbowlandspoon.com. Thanks for listening. Bowl.